everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. We've got another great show for you. Michael Kaiser, the executive director of the National Cybersecurity Alliance, is back. He's got some great tips for us on traveling this summer and how to protect your privacy and security uh, while with your electronic devices and your online accounts while you travel. Great advice, very timely with the summer coming up. We will start off a little bit of security news, uh, things I think you should know about, and we will do the interview, and then, of course, we'll wrap up with a couple questions from you, the listener. We'll start off this week with a little catch-up on Twitter. You may, If you've got a Twitter account, you may have noticed this. You get this pop-up message when you sign into your Twitter. It says, we're updating our privacy policy to give you a more personalized Twitter experience. We're working with ad partners in new ways to improve the tailored ads you already see. And we've given you even more control over your data. And it gives you two options. A big, nice, yummy blue button that says, sounds good. <laughs> and underneath that, a small little blue link that says review settings. So, <laughs> listeners of this podcast, I'm sure, know that I'm being very sarcastic here. Uh, the first thing that should the tip, trip you off whenever you read little notices like this is the personalized experience part. Whenever you see something about personalized or tailored or words like that, what that what that translates to is that they want to collect more data about you and use that data that they collect to send you targeted advertising. And that means that they're giving that information out to somebody, they're recording that information about you, filling out the dossier that they already have on you and making it even more detailed. So whenever you see updates of privacy settings that are couched in language like, we're doing this to help you, we're doing this to improve your experience, what you should immediately be realizing when they're doing that is what they really mean is that they're going to collect even more data or reduce your privacy even further for the sake of giving you more targeted advertising. So what I want you to take away from this, first of all, specifically, you need to go to Twitter. And if you if you didn't click that, you know, review settings button at the time and you went straight to the sounds good button just because you wanted to get on with your life, uh, you should go back and review your settings. And I would just personally say just turn the, all of this off. Uh, and you should not only do this with Twitter, you should do this with Google, you should do this with Facebook, you should do it with all your social media and all these other services that 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 have these wonderful sounding benign privacy statements about wanting to make this experience better for you and whatever. Uh, when in reality, all they're really trying to do is, uh, you know, save up more information on you. So uh, I've got a link uh, on the show notes on the web page you can go to to give you the full deal details on how to go into Twitter. It's kind of hard to explain on uh, audio. Click here, look at this, that kind of thing. So anyway, go there. You can find the link to this and it'll tell you what you need to do uh, to review these settings. Uh, on Twitter and make sure that you disable uh, these extra tracking steps. Now, Google had its annual developers conference uh, just a couple weeks ago. Uh, they call it Google I.O. Um, unless you're a real tech head, you probably haven't paid any attention to this or <laughs> probably didn't even know that it happened. But there's some interesting things that came out of that that I want to draw your attention to because we've talked, in fact, just last week, uh, two weeks ago, um, with Nick Weaver uh, from Berkeley about how Android phones are just so much less secure uh, than iPhones, Apple's iPhones are. And let's let's review just briefly why that is. So Apple owns the iPhone software and hardware top to bottom. They have full control over both elements of these, and it turns out that that is a crucial, crucial optimization when it comes to getting software updates out to people that need them. So when there is a problem found with Apple uh, in its iOS operating system, which is what runs on iPhones and iPads, Apple is free to update that software and get those patches out right away. And all the devices 
out there that our Apple devices can take those updates right away. The problem with Android devices, tablets and phones, is that the market is so fractured. So Google writes the Android operating system that is what runs these Android phones and made by LG and Samsung and so forth, and including Google, by the way. Google is now producing its own phones, uh, its own phone hardware. Uh, and those, of course, have to then go through the carriers as well. So unlike Apple, who has complete <laughs> complete control of its, of its software, much to the chagrin, I think, of, of the, the cellular carriers who would love to get their <laughs> love to get their claws in some of that stuff. Android took a different approach and allowed the manufacturers of the devices and the cell phone service providers to modify the software further to add their own branding and make things a little different and make things better on their systems, or so they believed. The problem with that approach is that now you've got all these different layers you have to go through when there's security patches to go through. So when uh, somebody finds a bug in Android, uh, they take it to Google, and Google says, okay, great, we'll whip out a fix for that. Google comes up with a fix, it does its testing, and then releases this patch or an update to the, to the software. Well, now that patch has got to go through at least two more layers before it gets to the end users, and in many cases, it never gets there at all because these phones are either too old to be supported or the manufacturers no longer support it or the cell phone providers don't support it. Their model is to get you to buy a new phone. So they have very little incentive to keep these things up to date, especially with features and things like that. But the problem is that that also rules out getting uh, software updates. So many Android phones are stuck on really old versions of Android and are not getting these, these security updates. And as we can uh, see, security updates are crucial. So anyway, Android, uh, Google, has realized this problem and, of course, realized a long time ago. They've been trying to fix this in multiple ways over the years, but they've announced at Google I.O. this year that Android version O, uh, and if you have if you have an Android phone, you're, you're probably familiar with the kind of the, the, the sweet uh, code names that they give to their operating systems like KitKat and Jellybean and uh, Nougat. Um, those are common uh, code names for their, their various operating systems. They go alphabetically, so they're on O now. Everyone's kind of thinking they're going to go with Oreo on this one, but <laughs> we, we don't know. It's still, at this point, it's still just Android O. Anyway, when Android version O comes out, uh, Google is making a, a significant effort to improve this situation. They are trying to isolate the part of the their operating system that is manufacturer or carrier specific. Uh, those parts that they legitimately need that LG or Samsung or Qualcomm or um, Verizon or AT&T that they might legitimately need to have some control over and want to change. Android is trying to, or Google, I keep calling them Android, Google is trying to separate out the, the parts, all the parts that it, it should be able to control directly so that when they have security updates, they can send these updates out and the, the manufacturers and cell providers can, can push the updates out a lot faster without having to make further modifications um, or testing on their own code. So we'll see how that plays out. But uh, since we made a really big deal about um, mobile security a couple weeks ago and really, really came down pretty hard on Android, uh, I just wanted to make sure I threw out some good news, uh, at least some hopeful news, that maybe Android's going to be um, getting more secure here in the future. Uh, of course, the issue still remains that so many of these phones are not getting updated anyway. So even when this brand new version of Android comes out, the chances of it getting onto these older phones is unfortunately very slim. But at least, hopefully, 
the newer phones that you buy with this newer version of Android on it, or if you happen to have a more recent phone that you can get updated to Android O when that comes out, you will benefit from this feature. And hopefully, hopefully, you will start getting those security patches much, much faster. We are excited indeed to be celebrating our one-year anniversary here at America Out Loud. And we could not have done it without you. Well, in short order, we've become one of the fastest-growing podcast and talk radio networks in the world. For all the latest news, entertainment, your blogging, and now web TV, as we celebrate our one-year anniversary here, and we'll see you back at AmericaOutloud.com. Well, I'm not sure why we take our health for granted, but I know that many of us do. Include me in that company. Recently, I had a couple of health scares that got my attention real quick. I started a new product called Healthy Cell. I took it for about three weeks, and man, I started to feel really good. I found myself sleeping better at night, had more energy in the day, and less stress and anxieties, and just feeling better overall. Well, with those kind of results, I knew I had to do something. So I reached to the company directly with a request to bring Healthy Cell back to America out loud. And here it is. Well, typically you'd pay $110 plus shipping and handling. Well, now you get it for just $79.99 for the monthly plan plus free shipping. That's right. They'll pick up the shipping and you pay just $79.99. Use the code OUTLOUD on HealthyCell.com or just click the banner on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. All right, and back with me again is uh, Michael Kaiser, Executive Director of the National Cybersecurity Alliance. Welcome back. Thanks. Happy to be here. We've got the whole summer ahead of us, and that usually means a lot of travel for people. Uh, so, you know, we want people to be traveling safely and, and, and doing things that uh, they need to do while they're traveling. And I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily think, well, I need to I need to do something different cybersecurity-wise or whatever when I'm traveling versus when I'm home. But, you know, using my classic, uh, I, you know, firewalls don't stop dragons, I like to use analogies. So my analogy of the castle, you're defending your castle, you're leaving your castle. You're going out on the open roads, you're visiting foreign castles or lodging or whatever, whatever the analogy might require. So, you know, what, what kind of, this brings up some, some other issues that we might not normally have to deal with, correct? Yeah. And I think, you know, as people like, you know, they, they're on the go now, right? And you're right. When, you know, when you, when you pull the plug at home and, you know, you load everybody into the car and everybody or on the plane and many people now are carrying, you know, multiple devices. I know in our family, it's often like, you know, everybody's got a laptop and a phone and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, right. Or somebody's yeah. got a tablet, you know, you're traveling with a lot of devices um, and you're going out uh, into the world um, and you're going to be connecting to the Internet in all different kinds of ways. And it's really important uh, to pay attention to security both before you leave and then while you're on the go at the same time. Well, perfect. That, that leads right into it. So my question, let's take this chronologically. So before you go, what kind of things do you need to do or perhaps not do before you leave on your trip? But how do you how do you get ready for your trip? Well, so, you know, we always go with some of that basic hygiene, right? Uh Making sure if you're using, uh, you know, uh, email or other key uh, accounts that you use uh, multi-factor or strong authentication, um, especially on your banking and email accounts, right? This is something in addition to your password and your login. Could be, uh, you know, a classic implementation of that is you put in your password and your login 
And then you um, get a text message to your phone with a six-digit code that you then put in, and then you can get into your account. This is really important, um, especially if you're, uh, you know, you're traveling, and if your uh, computer were to be stolen, or you know, something like that, and you were to lose it, um, or to lose a phone, um, you know, that you would have uh, on your phone, you'd be using something like a finger swipe or something, you know, in addition to a password or just a finger swipe, which is a biometric, which just makes it that much harder for people to get into your accounts, right? Yeah. Um, so. That's really kind of tip number one in, in the traveling world is uh, really, you know, bolster your credentials. Um, you know, if you've got passwords that need to be updated and made stronger, we'd highly recommend you do that. We'd like people to make better passwords. We'd like people to, um, you know, be honest about the weakness of their own passwords <laughs> um, when they can. And um, they know they're weak to just make them stronger before you hit the road. Yeah, and I think we mentioned this last week. Uh, password managers are, uh, in my mind, are the only way to go. The human brain is just not up to the task. Of I mean, I personally, I, I use LastPass, and I, I, so I can tell. In LastPass, I have I think north of five hundred accounts, which is you know crazy. Obviously, most people won't have that, but I'm I'm sure that most people have dozens anyway. And the human mind just you know can't keep track of you know you know a couple dozen really good passwords. So. Uh, I would highly recommend using some sort of a password manager and let them generate it for you. You don't have to remember it. Uh, just have them save it. Do you, um, do you recommend any particular ones? Do you have a do you have a favorite you like in terms of password managers? Well, we don't, you know, we can't really recommend individual products. We're not a testing organization, mm -hmm. you know, um, but there are plenty of reputable ones out there. Um, you know, you can uh, do some searching around and see which ones have had the best reputation or, uh, you know, um, people find easy to use those kinds of things. So there, there are plenty of good ones. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's the, you know, it, and, and, and actually it's really, there's an elemental piece to the password piece. Passwords were not really meant to be the prime security, uh, gateway for the internet. When the internet was created, that was not the idea behind passwords. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and they evolved to be the primary, you know, security, uh, gateway, right? The lock on the door is your password. And so it's, they're really critical. Um, right. You can now, you know, generate these very, uh, sophisticated passwords and you only have to remember the one to get you into your password manager. So, um, that's great. But even better is some form of multi-factor authentication where it can be used, especially on your email account where all your password resets happen. Yes, exactly. And by the way, I'm kind of, you know, I, I prepared for this by looking at your cyber trip advisor. This was a, uh, I don't know, a newsletter or a report that you that that, uh, that you guys generated for this exact purpose. So I'm kind of walking through some of those things, and of course you can find that online if you if you want to do some further study later. And I'll make sure I put a link uh, to this on the website. But let's let's walk down through some of your other uh, uh, things. One of the things I think a lot of people don't think about is uh, social media, and this falls under the case uh, under the category of things not to do. What are your recommendations there? Well, you know, on social media, we really talk about people sharing with care, right? Um, you know, uh, you need to think twice about the pictures uh, that what they say about you when they reveal that you're not home. So, you know, while you're smiling from Maui um, and, you know, telling people, well, we'll be gone for three weeks. Right. <laughs> you know, um, it's not hard for people to cobble together, depending on what else you do on social network, you know, where you live, uh, uh, you know, those kinds of things are to find you. And there have been cases. I'm not saying it's rampant, but there certainly have been cases where people's homes have been broken into when they're away on vacation. Um, and also, you know. Think about, um, you know, what who is actually going to see your posts while you're on vacation. Make sure that you're posting things that you feel comfortable with people like your employer or your parents, depending how old you are, or your grandparents. 
depending how old you are, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, what, what they're going to see, you know, the old, the old grandparent rule, don't post anything on the you know internet that you wouldn't want your grandmother to yes, see. Yes. Um, but, um, you know, so just share with care, think about it, you know, you're out, you're having a good time, <clears throat> maybe doing some things you don't want people to know about and you don't want to reveal your location. Very important, um, on the social media side. Yeah. And the other thing which we talked about last week in the, in the context of the wanna cry virus, uh, is, uh, you know, if you're going to back up your files, I can't think of a better time to do it than before you go away for a long period of time. Yeah, I would back up your files. And I would also, um, uh, in addition, depending how far you're going and where you're going, we could talk a little bit maybe about sort of different kinds of locations, if that changes what you need to do. But um, you may want to just take some files off, right? I mean, you know, if you have uh, very sensitive uh, financial records or other personal records, uh, health records, other kinds of things that, you know, you feel comfortable, totally comfortable on having it, you know, when you're at home and they're on your laptop and you don't really go that many places. But if, you know, thinking if you might lose your device um, and all those files would be gone and, you know, you just have to be <clears throat> thoughtful about that. You can always restore them when you get back, you know, from a backup and put them back on. But I'd really encourage people to sort of, you know, clean up their files uh, before they hit the road. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, take off the things you don't need uh, and back everything up, including not you know, including your mobile devices. Basically, anything you take with you, it, it, have a snapshot. I uh, went out to uh, L.A. with the family uh, a little while back, and I and I've got an iPhone. I'm a, kind of a Mac guy mostly, uh, though I use both Macs and PCs and Linux all the time. So anyway, I had set up the Find My iPhone feature, which you know is kind of interesting until you really need it and then it's fantastic i was yeah. uh, we had gone to uh, universal studio which if you've ever been in universal studios it's just just sprawling massive place and you know dumb me i had my phone in my front shirt pocket which is normal where i carry it but not when you're going to be on these rides that are throwing you all over the place well i get out of this ride we're walking around and I go to take a picture, and I realize I don't have my phone. And I'm like, oh, no. And I and I, and I, I could totally visualizing my phone spinning through the air and space and the mummy ride at, in the L.A. Universal Studios smashing against something or whatever. And so I told told our tour guide, I said, you know, I lost my phone. She said they notified the office. We, you know, have to wait till things shut down. I go home. Well, home being the Airbnb place we were staying. Go home, whip out the laptop, and bring up Find My iPhone. And there it is pinging right in the middle of the mummy ride at Universal Studios. And so I'm watching and, and the find my iPhone feature. I'm not, I'm not sure how much the Android ecosystem has something similar, but I could actually send it noises to make sure that someone kind of sees it. So every five minutes I'm sending out a noise. And finally I see it move and I'm like, yes, somebody, you know, somebody found my phone and sure enough, they took it. I saw my phone move to the front office and the next morning I went to pick it up. So uh, that's another thing I would recommend if you haven't set up something like that on your mobile devices. And this works for laptops as well. And, um, there, there are these programs you could use that help you find your devices if they get lost or stolen. Yeah, and so the finding function, extremely critical, as you mentioned. Also having a wipe function, right? Mm. So in case your phone um, actually could not be found, yes. <laughs> um, right, that you can actually wipe the data remotely so no one can get what's on your phone. This also is a, you know, another reason why you need a strong um, you know, passcode or finger swipe or something um, to, uh, you know, uh, on your device so that even if, you know, so it makes it just harder for someone to get into your system should they actually find your, you know, phone or stole your phone. Yep, absolutely. Uh, what about VPN services? This is something that if you're, if you're going to do something like this, this is something you'd want to probably set up before you went on your trip. What, what can you tell us about the, the uses of VPN services? Why, why would I do something like that? Yeah, so uh, VPN is a virtual private network 
which really um, allows you to create a, uh, a, you know, I mean, for, you know, to make it simple, kind of a private tunnel, right, inside a public network uh, or Wi-Fi network in most cases, you know, is how it's used. Um, and so the reason that you do this is that uh, public Wi-Fi um, is really, you know, one of the riskier places that um, that you can be um, surfing. And I mean, uh, you know, when you're on the road, the likelihood is that you're going to be using some form of public Wi-Fi along the way. You know, we, we you usually define public Wi-Fi as something that doesn't require a password to get in. But, you know, even at a big hotel where, you know, where there's a thousand rooms, right? Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, there's a thousand other people with the same password to get into the yes. Wi-Fi, you know, as you. And if they don't change it every day, then there's the thousands of people who were there yesterday. So, um, you know, they're private and they're more secure in the sense that they're not totally wide open. But, you know, you don't really know uh, who's on these networks. And, you know, I mean, we talk about Wi-Fi security as, you know, being important. I mean, again, um, you know, the risk is not it's significant, but it's not, you know, it's not like there's someone in the room next door to you you know, in every hotel you go to trying to get onto your computer, but you do need to be savvy about it. And you, you know, using a virtual private network, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to do anything of any important way on your, um, on your computer, on Wi-Fi, you should consider using a VPN. They're very inexpensive. There's some free ones, although most people recommend that you use, you know, one that costs yeah. a, you know, a few dollars just, you know, for, um, uh, they just seem to be a little better quality, but, um, the, the other thing I think people don't understand about this is, a, you know, uh, I like to talk about this is not only getting savvy about Wi-Fi and using a VPN, but being conscious about the quality of your connection to the Internet. Hmm. Right. So because, in fact, you know, I know people don't like to tap their data plans, but they're the cellular connection, right? The, the connection, the Internet browsing from your phone is much, much safer mm -hmm. than a Wi-Fi network. Right. And putting your phone on a Wi-Fi network also creates a security risk, right? Now, I know people don't like to, you know, data plans are sacred, right? And, <laughs> you know, everybody wants to, like, you know, look for a restaurant, find directions, you know, do all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. And, you know, what's the what's the, what's the baseball score back home? I mean, there's a lot of stuff people want to do on their phones mm -hmm. while they're driving, right? So, um, but, you know, if you need to do something critical, if you need to do something really important, um, using your, your, you know, your data connection on your phone, using your phone as a hotspot, yes. right? For your for your uh, for your device is a lot more secure, and the best way to envision this is that, literally, I mean, you know, basically, when your phone connects to the internet, it's basically a telephone number. It's basically dialing into the internet, right? Yeah. You're not sharing that connection with anyone else. You're just sharing it with yourself. Um, it's just you connecting to the internet. So you know, the security there is much is much stronger, and we encourage people um, to do that. And I think especially. Um, uh, for sensitive things, but you have to be understand the, the quality of the connection, right? Um, it's really important. Yeah, that that is actually fantastic advice, and th that's advice I actually uh, often give out as well. And I'd forgotten. I'm glad you brought that up. That's a that's a great idea. Is and data plans are become you know becoming a lot more cheap and uh, giving you a lot more data. So yeah, absolutely. If you can if you can just forego the public Wi-Fi and just and, and use your phone uh, use your phone cellular service, uh, that is absolutely wonderful advice. Uh, and the one other thing that, that 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 I want to bring up in terms of privacy, and maybe it's maybe not cyber necessarily, but uh, credit cards. Uh, I, and this is something that I got trained to do because I did a lot of international travel. Um, is, is that before you leave, call your credit card company. And actually, now of course you can usually just do this online in your profile. You can just set a little note, 
to uh, tell them that you're going out of you're you're going out of the country or, or I'm about to go use this card someplace where I don't normally use it because the fraud protections are now so tight that in that after one swipe you know in a, in a foreign place they they will often shut down your 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 card. Um, what do you have any advice around uh, traveling abroad and using your your credit or debit cards? Yeah, well, first of all, most people recommend that you use credit cards, right? Because debit cards tend to have less protection mm-hmm. um, from on the consumer side. Although I think in a lot of times credit card companies will, you know, will protect you no matter what. But uh, a couple of things about credit cards. Uh, you know, one, you're absolutely right. In fact, uh, I have an American Express card and uh, this, uh, this is the way things are going and this is great. Uh, a couple of things. And, and most credit cards, a lot of credit card companies do this first part where you can set uh, an amount um, and if a charge above that amount um, gets placed on your card, they'll send you an mm-hmm. email alert. Yep. So, you know, that can help you, um, you know, manage like, you know, that could be your own little fraud kickoff system. Right. You know, if somebody charges something over three hundred dollars and that's your limit. You're going to get a it's not going to stop the charge. It's just going to say, hey, they did it. And is it OK? Right. And you yeah. don't if it's OK, you don't do anything. The other thing, and I thought this was great, and I hope this is the way it moves more. Uh, last year, I took the family on a vacation, international vacation. Uh, actually didn't book the plane tickets with that card, but booked a lot of hotels. And about two days before we left, I got a note from American Express that said, looks like you're going overseas. Mm. Have a great trip. If you're not going <laughs> overseas, let us know. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. So you know that, that speaks to the way the algorithms underneath some of the credit card stuff is working. But I would, you know, use a credit card. Um, is fine. You know, some people prefer, um, you know, there's, there's some, um, you know, sometimes you get better rates, for example, when you withdraw cash from cash machines overseas and, you know, obviously changing cash in the United States. So people want to do that as well. Um, keep an eye on your card though. Um, obviously you don't want to lose it. Um, if you need to check your, you know, uh, check your account periodically, you could do that too, as long as you're on a safe, secure network, um, mm-hmm. you know, lock your, uh, you know, to make sure that things are okay. But, um, you know, credit cards um, are built with some consumer protections into them. So in many ways, they're better than cash, right? Because if you lose the cash in your pocket, you can't get it back. But uh, if you lose your credit card and somebody uses it fraudulently, yeah, you usually can, uh, you know, avoid those charges. Exactly. Yeah. And I 100 percent agree on the debit versus credit. And that's something I usually tell the audience is, you know, when the, the credit card is basically a loan. So if somebody charges too much to the card, that's a loan. Uh, that you can call and, and that you will not be liable for that. Whereas as a debit card, that money actually is removed from your account that you need to get back. Uh, and and while it, you know, they they, I think a lot of these companies will try to claim the banks will claim that they have similar protections. It's very, it's fundamentally a very different scenario to uh, to lose your money from your bank account and try to get that cash back versus, you know, having an outstanding loan that you will never have to pay. Yeah. And, but, you know, one of the good things, and especially like in Europe, for example, you know, um, you, you don't give your credit card away as much as you used to. Right. A lot of times when you're in a restaurant, they'll come to you with a machine mm-hmm. and you'll see them put it right in the machine. So it never kind of lose. You never kind of lose contact with your card. Right. right. Um, and, and, and 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 a lot of places are chip enabled now, which is another protection. Right. Um, so um, all good. You know, getting better all the time. Yep. Uh, now you alluded, uh, we had alluded to this a little bit earlier about uh, crossing the border, going international, and 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 using uh, pin codes. Um, so we had an episode uh, uh, a few weeks ago where I talked to a gentleman from the EFF about this because that's something that really kind of bothers me. And I know there's been some uh, movement to change the laws around this, but currently, even as a U.S. citizen at the border, your rights are different 
<laughs> they're not they're, your constitutional rights uh, against search and seizure and things like that are, are very different at the border. We don't have to dig into that necessarily, but there are there are differences when you're going international versus going within your country that you might want to think about. Um, can, is there anything particular that that you can think of for international travel that might be different? Some security uh, things you might want to take into account before you travel outside the country. Yeah, the first consideration is what country are you going to, mm. right? Um, and so. You know, if you're going to China, right, or the Soviet Union or any other country which may not be, you know, 100 percent friendly to Americans, you need to be concerned about your security. Um, You know, we know this a lot from the business world, probably, you know, regular, you know, tourists don't think about this. And, you know, you said you did some international travel for your work. So let's see if this anybody ever did this to you in in the firms that you work for. There are some firms that if you're going to China, either A, you cannot bring a device, Mm. period, end of story, or B, they give you like a brand new iPad and when you bring it home, they throw it out. The (laughs) assumption is, the assumption is, or maybe an old iPad and they throw it out. The assumption is if you bring a device into some of these countries, there's there's no way it doesn't come back um, being compromised, right? And so you need to think about that, right? Um, You know, uh, if you're going to a place where the security would be um, extremely risky, you need to think about what you bring with you when you go, right? Um, yes. You know, you may want to bring, maybe you have an old laptop in the closet, you know, that has current, you know, operating system, but you doesn't have anything on it. So you just bring it empty and you use it, you know, um, to do various things. And you, you know, you may not want to think about whether you check your email or, you know, maybe you make another email account to use while you're away or something like that. But so you have to be, evaluating the risk uh, about where you're going. And again, what kind of quality, um, you know, what kind of quality connection to the internet are you going to have? Um, uh, unfortunately, international data plans, you know, are, you know, while they're getting better in the U S once you're out of the country, they can be quite expensive. Um, you know, so you, you want to be careful about, you know, using your phone anyway, but, um, well, that brings so up, that, go ahead. Yeah, well, so that's one area we can, you know, go ahead. We can, I was going to say that that, you, that perfectly segues into another question I had for you, that what a lot of people have done, and, and it's, I think it's becoming a little less common now because finally I think some of the carriers are starting to loosen up on these ridiculous uh, international data use uh, rates. Um, I know finally that my carrier has allowed me to at least go to North America and not have to worry about being on foreign soil. But a lot the, the solution for a lot of people is as soon as you land, in fact, a lot of airports – uh, just have these kiosks set up. You go and you get a local SIM card, which is the little identity module that makes your phone your phone. It gives you your phone number and associates it with your account. So basically, you you land, you 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 pop out the SIM that you you came with. You pop in a SIM that you bought locally, so that you basically have a, you have a local phone number and you have some sort of a local data plan. It's probably a pay as you go kind of a thing. Do, do you have any insights into into those things? Is that safe to do? Is that is that a, is is that worth doing? Yeah, I think it's pretty safe to do. And I think it is worth doing. And I think um, especially if you're going to really require your phone while you're in another country. Right. I mean, so I do some Internet travel, you know, for uh, work as well. And a lot of times I just like I don't really need my phone. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, and you can get some plans that just allow you to text without making calls, you know, back to the U.S. Like you can have unlimited texting for some reason, but you can't make calls. So, you know, that you can use other forms of communication. But, yeah, I mean, I think the SIM card, if your phone will allow it, I mean, I don't know all this particulars about that. You know, you can't just, I think, slap some SIM cards into any phone. Mm. I, I'm not quite sure how that works. I actually know some people who keep um, older 
some even some flip phones, right? Some older cell phones uh, that they use when they travel. Uh, and they mm. just, you know, leave the other one at home, bring the old phone, grab a SIM card, get a number. And, you know, then they're happy to, you know, um, but the only the only thing being there that like if somebody tried to call you, right, they wouldn't necessarily be to reach you because they wouldn't right. necessarily know your number unless you told them. But, yeah, that's perfectly, you know, a uh, perfectly good way to do it. Um, I think, you know, when you're thinking about traveling and security, you have to put into uh, place um, security around the functionality that you need. But think about the functionality that you need. Right. Um, yes. Before you go. Yeah, and and yeah, the the advice that I've been hearing lately is, is you know is, is is exactly that, and that is you think about you know we're kind of it, we're used to bringing these devices we we're, we're attached to them at the hip and in some cases literally uh, everywhere we go. But I mean, when you're traveling, do you, you know how much do you really need that? Could you get by with something else? I guess is the is the real follow up. Like for instance, I've um, Chromebooks are are something that I've heard people uh, will take uh, if they're going to some place they're either worried about losing it or worried about uh, their device being compromised. Instead of bringing the regular expensive MacBook Pro or whatever, they'll just bring a Google Chromebook, which you can get one of those for two hundred fifty bucks. Uh, and you know now basically it's a web browser and a clamshell uh, that will allow you to do most of the things you might want to do while you're abroad. Yeah, you'd still have to be concerned about logging into accounts, right? Um, and those kinds of things where, you know, passwords could be captured, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, in transit, right? A little more difficult than obviously getting it off your hard drive or having malware on your on a drive that captures keystrokes. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. That's a great that would be a great solution for a lot of people, right? I just want a laptop when I go. I want to get to wherever I'm going. I want to be able to search for restaurants. I want to be able to get directions. I want to be able to, you know, do some things um, that require the Internet. And by the way. Much better to have that than to use the internet in the hotel lobby, you know, the mm -hmm. computer in the hotel lobby, which I actually never recommend. I recommend people just stay away from those. <laughs> yeah, know? absolutely. I've heard uh, some. I mean, just, period. It's just like end of story, full stop. Don't do it. You know, um, it's just, you know, they collect, you don't know what's going on in those computers. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, they, you know, I've heard all sorts of uh, security folks talking about key loggers and things that are on these things so that, you know, no, no matter how careful you are of someone not watching what you're doing, you're still, they're still recording every keystroke you make. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bad scene. And, and uh, I, <laughs> I'm with you hundred percent. Just don't touch For all it. you know, there's a video camera in the ceiling that's capturing <laughs> your password as you type it in. I mean, there's so many different ways that yes. they can be compromised. Right. So, yeah. Um, if you needed, I mean, it's really like scoping the technology, um, to the, you know, to, to what you need on your trip. Yep. Okay. So now we're, at, we're out and about, we're, 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 we've left, we've done our travel. We haven't told too many people or the wrong people or broadly where we're going and how long we're going to be gone. So we're safe there. Uh, now I'm out and about and I want to do some things that I might normally do at home. And now I need to know if they're safe while I'm traveling. For instance, is it safe to do online banking or pay bills while you're traveling? Well, you know, again, this goes back to that quality of the Internet connection. If you, you know, feel that you have a very good Internet connection, like, I mean, I don't know, you know, if it's your if you're at your brother in law's house and you have the password to their, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Wi-Fi, you probably feel comfortable doing those kinds of things. Right. I wouldn't do it in the hotel lobby. I might not do it in a hotel room. I might that might be an instance where I connect my phone up to a hotspot. Right. So that I know that I'm. I mean, I might make my phone a hotspot and connect my right, computer to right. it to do it. Right. So it's about reducing the risk and doing the things you need to do. But in general, I'd say, you know, don't do it unless you have to do it. And if you have to do it, do it in a place that you're you know, you have some you've given some thought to the security of your connection and whether, you know, it's secure enough to to do what you want to do. Yeah. 
uh, one of the things that we're seeing a lot more now is public in-flight Wi-Fi. Do you have any? Is there any? Is it? Is that basically just the same as the 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 Wi-Fi at the hotel or the Wi-Fi at the airport? Is there anything particular about in-flight Wi-Fi that might be different and from a security standpoint? You know, my sensibility about in-flight Wi-Fi is that it's probably a little better than the than the hotel. Um, you know, uh, first off, it's you know the pipe is controlled, right? You know, down to the ground. Um, you know, someone would have to be on the plane, like sniffing out, right? You know, the Wi-Fi. So, you know, unless the person next door to you, sitting next to you, you know, is, you think is a hacker. Um, you yeah. know, most of them have, um, you know, some form of, you know, first of all, people have to pay for it. None of it's well. Some of it's free. I should take that back. <clears throat> a lot of the carriers are now having sort of, you know, a part of it that's free entertainment right, that you can go to. So mm-hmm. it's becoming a little more open, but other times you have to pay for it. So, you know, that kind of already limits the number of people that are going to be on there in some way, shape or form. I think it's better. I don't think it's perfect. Um, you know, again, you know, it's a closed set for who can be on it, right? Just the yeah. people on the plane. So it's not like, you know, some cyber criminal might park themselves in the lobby of your hotel, uh, you know, and they're just come in a couple hours a day to see what kind of mischief they're up to. Right. So let's say the worst happens and I'm and I'm out and I'm traveling and I've I've lost my phone or my, or maybe I believe it's stolen. Um, you, if you're in, if you're in a foreign country, it gets even hairier. I'm not you know I guess if it was if I was kind of in my home area, I'd, I'd feel you know well I'd go find a cop or something. Uh, do you have any particular tips for you know if if the worst should happen, you know what how do you respond to something like that? What 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 can you do? Well, first, we already talked about kind of the wipe your phone, find your phone, so you yep. can do that, right? You should definitely have had – this is before you go. <laughs> most people do, but you should definitely have um, passcode protection or or biometric protection on your device, right? Mm-hmm. So that if it's lost, you know, somebody can't get into it. Um, the cell phone companies themselves, the carriers have a system of um, – you can report – your when you report your phone stolen, they have a registry – and that phone can't be reused. So um, they can make the phone unusable, hmm. oh, right? Okay. So, you know, I can't remember what that's called off the top of my head. But anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a system whereby, you know, reported phones, stolen phones get into a registry and they can't be turned back on. So hmm. um, that has been a great deterrent actually to the theft of phones because yeah. they've become less valuable uh, over time. Because if I, you know, it used to be I stole your iPhone and it was the latest one you know, clean it out, put it back, you know, sell it on eBay and off I go. Right. Yeah. Um, you really can't do that anymore. So that's, it's reduced the value of them. So you can, you can have it kind of paralyzed like that. Yeah. In fact, and, and this made me think of something else with uh, the pin, uh, the putting the pin or the fingerprint in the phone. Uh, and I can't remember if Android has this, has a, it must have a similar feature, uh, but on my iPhone, you can actually set the, you can set the code that if you enter it incorrectly 10 times, it will actually just go ahead and wipe your phone. Yeah, uh, in Android, I'm, I'm sure they have a similar thing. I know I have an Android phone, and I know if I screw it up three times, I have to wait 29 seconds. But um, I've never gotten to 10, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, what about uh, these were very pop- these were uh, popular um, when the, these data rates were so high. But what about apps that might be interesting for travel? For instance, I know a lot of people use uh, WhatsApp. Got really popular. Yeah. Uh, not only not be, the security was kind of an afterthought. The reason that WhatsApp was so popular initially is because it allowed you to basically text people around the globe without paying these ridiculous fees. Uh, do you have any particular apps or interesting things that we might, you know, things you might actually want to put on your phone uh, for travel that might make uh, things a little easier, more secure? Yeah, well, I think, you know, obviously some kind of messaging app is always going to be very helpful. And if, you know, if it doesn't, you know, 
if it doesn't ding your data plan, that's going to be good. Although, like I said, some of the some of this phone um, for you know international plans allow you actually to have international you know for a one-time fee allow you to text right. So um, you know you can look you can you can look in, in, into that as well. Um, you know certainly you're going to want um, apps that are uh, you know help you in your travel whether they're a translator right um, you know which is definitely helpful app mm -hmm. uh, things like google translate which you know actually can translate from a picture now yes uh in a lot of language it's totally cool so it's you amazing hold your, well, it's not even a picture you hold the camera up you know to the sign and it and it translates it right I know. so it's just it's, it's phenomenal I, I showed my wife that the other day and she just couldn't believe it, it, it I, right. I i had to go find some I, I went to the web and found some i think russian signs or something and and it was, it was just magic. They match the font and the color. It's not like they give you subtitles. They actually yeah, like visually like, replace it. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So those, you know, those kinds of apps obviously are extremely are extremely helpful. Um, and you know, I mean, I think you know beyond that, it's really you know what are you doing? A lot of people like to you know um, you know if they're going to a city and they can download an app that you know helps them guide them through the city. That can be extremely helpful. <clears throat> um, you know, uh, obviously maps are very, very important, you know, travel app, if not the most important. Mm -hmm. And I think if, you know, it just depends if you're going someplace and you're going to be taking lots of trains, if there's an app for that, you know, transportation system or, you know, a map of the, you know, of the above ground, below ground, you know, bus, tram, you know, <laughs> system, yep. those things are all really helpful depending on when you're going. One thing I would recommend, though, is once you leave is to delete them. Yeah. Right. And that's that's part of that. Keep a clean machine notion of keeping your, you know, free from infections. But also that's not an app you're going to want to keep up to date because, you know, you might not be going back to Geneva for 10 years. Right. So just, you know, <laughs> if you go back to Geneva, you can download it again. Right. You don't want to keep it up to date. And, you know, you don't. And also sometimes they run in the background. Sometimes they yes. use your data plan. You know, there's a, sometimes they're tracking your location since we know people don't really read the terms of service. I mean, <laughs> so, you know, um, you know, remember that apps can be doing a lot of different things. So it's good to delete them when you're not uh, when you're not using them. Yeah, that's actually fantastic advice. And it, it, it applies not to basically everything you own. It's not even just your mobile devices, your computers as well, because this software is, you know, as we in the security industry like to call them, you know, extends your attack surface. There's just more places where somebody could find some bug to get into. So absolutely, you should, uh, when you're done with these things, if you're not using them, you can always get them back, right? So like you said, that uh, you could, if you find a need for it, you can put it back later. In the meantime, take it off. There's no point in having it on there. It's great advice. Yeah, another app I think people would, you know, should probably have. I mean, for those of us who travel a lot, we already have these some of these apps, but like that the app for your airline, mm, right? Yeah. Um, even if it's like the first time or the only time you're flying that airline, because there's a lot you can do from those, and also for some hotels that you might be using along the way, um, they're very they're extremely helpful if you need to change something or you know you can't remember what time you're leaving, you don't have to go to the internet, you can go directly to the app, right? Yeah. Um, you know, same with your hotels, right? You can see your reservations. You can make reservations on the go, uh, for, you know, um, or, you know, your favorite travel app. I mean, if you're using like an Expedia or an Orbitz or something, you know, one of those things, those uh, apps are, are extremely helpful. Um, you can because it's in, you can conduct transactions uh, on those apps without having to like, you know, get onto the Internet. I mean, you mm -hmm. are on the Internet, but you don't have to like fire up a laptop or connect to a Wi-Fi. You know, again, it's going to be through your data plan. But um and, and I think people should understand that, too, like sometimes apps are more secure than other forms of connection. 
right? So mm. for example, in banking, this is uh, often true. When we talk about authentication, so you know, by the time you finger swipe into your phone, open the app, and the app has been able to communicate with your bank and verify like the ID of your phone um, and look at some other factors like where you are um, and some other things. Not all banks do this, but they can authenticate you through some various other you know, characteristics. Um, you know, you're actually probably, you know, safer than you might be in some cases just using an internet connection and typing it into the browser. Um, mm. so that's another, another thing for people to consider. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. Good thought. Um, one more low tech thing, but what about, what do you feel about travel insurance? I, I, I personally don't, I've got a love hate thing with insurance. I'm sure as most of us do, because it, it, we all know the way the books are supposed to work is that the house comes out ahead on insurance. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't be providing it, but I've definitely it, travel insurance has saved my butt on more than one occasion. Uh, do you have any recommendations on, on that particular, uh, uh idea? Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sort of with you. I've not, I'm not a big user of travel insurance, but on the other hand, if this is the big family, you know, we do a lot of business travel, right? So, you know, I'm not likely to do that. I mean, if I have to change a ticket, I have to change a ticket. I mean, it happens, right? That kind of stuff. Um, uh, but, you know, if this is the big family trip or the honeymoon or, yeah. you know, something like that, and you feel like you need some peace of mind, which is really what insurance offers you, or if you feel that there's, you know, some kind of situation which makes the trip, you know, something could happen, right? Um, you know, it's hurricane season. It's you know whatever, yes. right? You know, um, you know, you got to you got to make the appropriate, uh, you got to take the appropriate action. You don't want to be out, you know. Uh, and and a lot of these, you know, big family trips are very very expensive, right? I mean, yes. they're not, you know, it's not like you're just taking, you know, a weekend trip, you know, down the coast somewhere. So, um, you know, you just you might want to consider that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, it's, I, I agree with you, you know, you, you buy life insurance on the notion that you're going to die. They, they sell it to you on the notion <laughs> that you're going to live. So, you know, um, yeah. right. You buy auto insurance, you know, um, they're hoping you don't get in an accident. You're thinking you might. So, um, yes. you know, so there is, it is a little bit reversed there, but you know, that it, it serves a purpose. Right. And, uh, you know, um, it does protect you against loss and, and that, that's the whole concept. So you really got to calculate how, what's at risk. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. That's exactly the calculus that I go through when I look at this. How much am I spending? What are the downsides? You know, regular trips I don't think about it, but uh, I've certainly had it. I lost an iPad on a on, on a trip once, and travel insurance covered it. Uh, so the, you know, there are times and uh, that that it'd be helpful. Yeah, but uh, you know, in that case, you should also check your homeowner's policy to see what's covered too, True. right? You know, because um, you know, maybe 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 you are covered against certain kinds of of losses. Um, on the other hand, you know, your deductible may be more than the value of the device. So, and the, you know, the other thing I'll throw out there is cause we talked about this before too, is check your credit card company. It, it, there are some bizarre benefits to credit, to using credit cards that you just never know unless you look up your, your terms of service or whatever. A lot of these things will like double your warranty period. Uh, they've got some, they've got some really strange thing. You know, I, my only guess is they can offer these things is cause most people never use them cause they don't know about them. Yeah. Yeah. Especially some of, you know, the more business related cards may have some travel benefits or may have some travel insurance, you know, yes. you know, or may or, and may also have assistance. Right. Like something goes wrong and at least you right. can call them and they can help you get back. You know, so. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. So we're wrapping up. Let me ask one more aspect of this. Is there anything different for uh, for kids? Any, any sort of cybersecurity things for your for your kids while you travel or maybe or maybe your uh, seniors, maybe if you're bringing uh, the whole family along, you know, is there anything particular for for the, for those age groups that might be different or, 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 or things we might want to think about that we wouldn't necessarily think about for ourselves. 
You know, I don't think there's a tremendous amount that's different. I think, you know, you can use the trip, I think, as a great, you know, teaching experience about cybersecurity and about, you know, what they should be doing, especially like, you know, connecting, you know, the first thing kids want to do when they get to the hotel room is, you know, hop online and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, hook up to the Wi-Fi. So it's an opportunity to teach them about that. It's an opportunity to help them learn about how to keep, you know, get their machine ready for the trip and passwords and all those kinds of things. I mean, I think, you know, um, you know, you always want them to be alert on from people trying to contact them, them who they don't know, um, you know, and, and those kinds of things. And but, you know, I think it's just, you know, um, paying attention and, you know, maybe in some ways when you're traveling, you have more opportunities to see what your kids are doing on their devices than you do during the regular <laughs> during the rest of the year. Right. When, you know, right. um, people are at work and they're you know, they have other things to do, but you're all together. But, you know, make sure that they're following those basic practices. Right. That, you know, whatever whatever risk that that you're exposing yourself to by traveling with technology, they're being exposed to it as well. It's a great opportunity to teach them about sharing with care and being thoughtful about, you know, what they post online to their friends or to their social networks um, while they're traveling. So there's a lot of great opportunity, you know, um, uh, to actually do some learning uh, while they're on the go. Absolutely. That is a fantastic. I love that idea. That is perfect. What a great way to end this. Uh, thank you so much. We, we, we got you two weeks in a row. I can't, I couldn't be happier. You've got some fantastic advice. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, Michael. Uh, thanks again for coming on. And uh, last chance, is there anything else you'd like to shout out about uh, work you guys are doing or any other resources we'd like to point people to? Well, just remind people that, you know, October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. I know it's a long time after the summer travel season, but that's an opportunity for everybody to get involved in educating people about staying safe online. We count on you know, broad participation from businesses and individuals and schools and nonprofit organizations. So they can check that all out at staysafeonline.org. Fantastic. Thank you again. Thanks for coming. And it's time once again to answer some of your questions. You guys had some great questions. I got a couple here in the mailbag that I want to get to. Uh, let's start with Jennifer from California. She asks, um, how do I remove myself from all these mailing lists? Uh, is it safe to click the unsubscribe button? All right, Jennifer, that's a great question and a question I get a lot. Uh, so let's talk about about that. So somewhere along the line, you you may have done this uh, knowingly or maybe not. Today, it's really easy to get on mailing lists. In fact, it's it's really annoying. Uh, sometimes anybody with your contact info, uh, your email address will will sign you up. Uh, if you buy something from them, if you Sign up for their uh, some account on their website if you're not careful. Almost all all these things have this little checkbox somewhere that says yes, please send me stuff, and uh, <laughs> we all get way too much stuff. So how do you get off these mailing lists? Uh, first of all, obviously, you know, watch out for it in the first place. Whenever you're signing up for something, always look for that little checkbox. It's usually somewhere around the place where you set up your account. Uh, make sure that you uncheck anything about sending me marketing or send me exciting info or, you know, however they phrase it. It's always makes it sound so good. Uh, but in reality, it's almost never what you want. Um, so, you know, un try to avoid it in the first place by doing that. If you happen to get on a mailing list and you know that you were the one who signed up for that mailing list, uh, you can, in most cases, uh, look toward the bottom of that email, usually buried at the very, very bottom of these uh, things with a tiny little print link. 
uh, that says unsubscribe or change my preferences or something like that. If it's something you know you signed up for uh, and, uh, and it's a reputable company, you can go ahead and try that. You can click on those buttons and try to unsubscribe. Uh, it doesn't always work. Um, uh, you know, some of them, be careful. Some of them you click on it and you'll automatically be unsubscribed right away. That's great. Some of them you click on it and you have to still click through some more stuff to say, really, are you sure you want to unsubscribe? Uh, unfortunately, the, you know, some of them don't make it easy. Uh, there's, there's a system that's called safe unsubscribe. You know, it sounds good. I, I honestly haven't looked into it because I don't care. <laughs> it, it either works or it doesn't. Uh, you're already on the list. You've already gotten the emails. So one of the downsides to click on some of these things for, for the, uh, disreputable companies, uh, if they've sent you this and you didn't, if you didn't ask for it somehow, uh, directly or indirectly, and they've just are sending out these kind of spam emails to you by responding in any way, or even by loading the images, um, in, in the email, most of the email clients now will, will say there are images in here and we have not downloaded them for your safety or privacy or something. Uh, that's for real. Uh, there is a real reason why they're doing that. And one of the reasons they're doing that is that if there are images in there. Just the fact that you read the email and, and loaded those images can tell them that you opened the email and read it. And that, in a lot of cases, um, they're just guessing email addresses. They're just, they're putting, you know, popular names together at yahoo.com or whatever. And, you know, they don't know that that email is good. They're hoping it's good. And if you give them any indication that it's a real email address, well, now they know it's a good email address and they're going to send it to all their buddies. So you know, some, sometimes if, it, if it's not something that's reputable, if it's not something that you know you signed up for, uh, clicking unsubscribe is actually the wrong way to go. In that case, if it's, uh, I would not click those, the unsubscribe link. Uh, I would just mark it directly as spam or mark it as junk mail. Um, you could, of course, delete it or archive it. That, that, that's fine, too. But what you want to do is you want to train uh, your junk and spam filters to recognize this in the future so that when you get more of these in the future, uh, it'll just it'll shove them in the trash for you and you don't even have to look at it. Uh, it's hard to stop them from coming, but at least you don't have to see it. So, yes, great question. And unfortunately, it's not a simple answer, but that's, uh, that's usually what I recommend for people. And got time for one more quick question. John from Toronto uh, asks, how secure is Apple's iMessage? And does it matter if the color is blue or green? I assume he's talking about the, the color of the, the text, the little text bubbles. Sometimes they're blue and sometimes they're green. So it's a great question. Uh, let me answer that here quickly. Uh, Apple's iMessage, actually, as far as security goes, uh, protecting your messaging is pretty good. Um, it's not perfect, uh, but for most people, I think it's fine. Uh, it is encrypted. It's encrypted end-to-end. -end. That means uh, the message is encrypted when it leaves your phone and is not decrypted until it gets to the far end, meaning that even Apple's servers don't have uh, the key to open that message. Now, it's not perfect. If you're a whistleblower or a Snowden type or whatever, you know, I would not be leaning on Apple's iMessage as the end-all be-all for security. For most people, it's fine. Uh, the difference, by the way, between the colors uh, on an Apple uh, iPhone or iPad when you're sending messages, if it's blue, that means you're communicating with another Apple person. So it's uh, that is true iMessage. It's encrypted end-to-end. Uh, it's using Apple's uh, proprietary system. If it's green, what that means is the, the person on the other end is probably an Android phone or something like that. Uh, and they're and since they're not Apple on both sides, they can't use this proprietary Apple iMessage. So instead, they just use SMS or standard texting. Now, texting is not terribly secure. Um, so, you know, if you're really doing something that needs to be private, I would not rely on that. What I would look at, uh, you could look at a, a messaging app instead. And the, the far and away, probably the most popular one that has security is WhatsApp. 
that was bought by Facebook, um, but it is still secure and it's still doing its own thing. For most people, WhatsApp is plenty secure uh, and it interoperates. Well, it works with itself. Anybody else on the planet who's using WhatsApp, you can talk to them for free using that uh, service. Uh, and if you really want to kick it up on another notch, you can look at Signal, uh, which is by Open Whisper Systems, which is it really is the, the the gold standard when it comes to secure messaging. In fact, the the, the government just approved this for use by the U.S. Senate uh, to use as a private messaging uh, scheme. So or application. So anyway, iMessage is good for most people as long as it's blue. You're in good shape. If you really want to make sure it's secure, you might look at WhatsApp, uh, very popular. Uh, and then if that if you really need to kick it up a notch for some reason, I would look at Signal. And that's it for the questions this week. Thank you very much. Those are great questions. Uh, if you've got more questions, and I know you do, send them to me at Parker at americaoutloud.com. I will uh, bundle those up, and every so often I'll come out and answer those questions for you. Uh, if you've got the question, you know somebody else has too, and so you're not just helping yourself, you're helping your fellow man. So until next week, folks, don't get caught with your drawbridge down. Stay safe out there. Talk to you next time.